So welcome to this podcast today. Um, absolutely delighted to be here this morning, uh, partly because it's Anna's birthday, um, oh, and I believe, <laughs> and I believe that she's twenty-one. But I'm not going to ask because it would be rude. Um, absolutely twenty-one. <laughs> Yay! So we'll probably sing happy birthday at the end of this podcast, which everyone will be really pleased to hear. But before we do any singing or any happy birthday, I'm delighted to be joined by two medical students today for this uh, Immunotherapy for Medical Students podcast. And these aren't just two, any, not just any two medical students. These are the two med- medical students who have kindly been on placement with me for the last five weeks doing projects looking at the uh, doing an evaluation of the National Education IO Forum and of the Immunobuddies podcast and they've kindly written fantastic reports on this and, and I'll be sharing them uh, and Anna and I will share them with the wider world at some point. So a little atypical, I normally introduce the speakers but I'm going to let Nima and Menno introduce themselves this morning. So um, uh, Nima if I start with you. Yeah, so um, I'm Neve, and um, yeah, as Ricky said, we're both fourth year medical students currently doing projects with him. Yeah. And hi, I'm Mena. I'm also one of the fourth years that's been with Ricky for this placement. Fantastic. So what we're going to do is, in essence, just let you interrogate us um, and ask us anything you want to ask us that a medical student might want to know. So I don't know who wants to kick off, but feel free to, to go ahead. Ah, thank you. So we've noticed that immunotherapy isn't spoken about in the curriculum as much as some of the other pillars of anti-cancer treatment like chemo and radiotherapy. So this episode is designed for medical students or anyone who isn't familiar with or would like to know more about immunotherapy. So it'll be a bit of an introduction and we can hopefully tell you what immunotherapy is, why it's such an exciting field and finally why it's so important to know about it as a medical student. Um, yeah, so before we get into it, um, we were going to talk, um, because on placement, we've seen kind of some of the more traditional cancer treatments. Um, so many of us have seen um, chemotherapy and surgery um, be used in clinical practice, but might not have come across immunotherapy. Um, so we were just wondering if you can briefly tell us what immunotherapy is. Yeah, of course. Right. Shall, I, shall I take that first? So um, immunotherapy is um, probably the reason you haven't heard very much about it as yet is the fact that it's really new. Um, so we've only had this group of drugs for about a maximum 10 years, but in reality, in most places, about five years. Um, and basically what it does is it, it thinks about cancer care in a completely different way. And it uh, activates a person's own immune system to re-recognise their own cancer. So we know normally, you, me, Ricky, um, we've all got um, something called immunosurveillance going on in us all the time. So our immune system can pick up abnormal cells and it breaks them down and stops people getting cancer. And one of the ways that cancer can become established is that it, it, it blocks that mechanism of immune detection. And we've known about this for a long time. And we've also known that the immune system could theoretically be targeting and breaking down cancer cells but there are lots of barriers that the cancer um, inherently manages to um, put in the place so that actually the immune system can't do that so what immunotherapies do and immunotherapies the way that we talk about them we talk about this group of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors which we'll explain a bit in a minute but immunotherapy just is a, a treatment that causes the immune system of the individual to be able to attack their own cancer in more recent years, we, we've known about this for about 100 years that you can do this. And we had some really early immunotherapies, which actually just caused lo- global inflammation of the body. 
Um, and some people, a very small number of people, got good benefit from that. But actually, a lot of people got really bad side effects and no benefit because it was too non-specific. So more recently, um, and the first one of these drugs, these checkpoint inhibitors, was licensed in 2011. So it really is relatively recent. Um, that actually, we've now got drugs that block this group of proteins called checkpoint proteins. So one of the ways that the, the um, cancer blocks the immune system is by building an essentially a wall around itself of these things called checkpoint proteins. And so the drugs bind to those checkpoint proteins and stop them being active. And so the immune system, when it would normally have acted against the cancer, is then able to again. And the reason that's really exciting is that is a, a that protective mechanism that cancers have is um, often seen in lots of different cancers. So it's not just one cancer type. It's not one cancer group. It's, the, it, it's theoretically across the majority of cancers. And so that means that immunotherapies, although they started in a small group of melanomas, now can be used in 15 different tumour types because they all evade immune description. Now, they don't all work the same in each group, but essentially we've now got a type of cancer treatment that can be used across different tumour groups, very much like chemotherapy can. So although you haven't heard about it very much yet, it is likely that as time goes on and you go into your medical careers, that you will definitely see people on immunotherapy um, in, in any setting, sometimes in emergency settings, or if any of you fancy going into oncology in the long term, you'll certainly be dealing with these patients. Wow, thank you so much. And you already briefly touched on it, but in the first year of medical school, we're taught all about the complexities of the immune system. So can you just remind us which parts are important to know about to understand immunotherapy? Love that question. Um, I'll, I'll maybe take that question then. So there's a few different cells that you learn about at medical school and unfortunately there's also some cells that you don't know about yet that are going to be uh, important in this but let's start let's answer the question which is what cells um that, that you would have heard about so you remember that they that we've got your t cells and you've got your b cells and we know that we've got different types of t cells so we you'll you'll remember or you may remember that we've got sort of cd4 which are called helper t cells and cd8 which are those cytotoxic killer cells and so we know that those cd8 cytotoxic cells are really important because they, they kill viruses, they kill other cells, but they also kill the, the cancer cells. And so that's the cell that the interaction um, with the tumour happens, and that's typically down at the tumour level. And that's the, the checkpoints that Anna described is, is really one of those those checkpoints between the that, that CD8 T cell and the tumour cell. But we also know that antigen-presenting cells, which you may remember, are cells that in essence show the body uh, abnormal proteins or epitopes or antigens onto their surface and get your immune response going. Well, similarly, those cells are up in the, up in the lymph nodes, basically getting your T cells excited. And it's those T cells that will go down uh, to the tumour and, and fight the tumour. So CD4 and CD8 T cells are very important. We know that B cells have a role as well. And you remember that B cells are your antibody producing um, cells. And so those uh, those cells are, are important in this process too. And also we now know that there's other cells that we haven't really got into in, in medical school. So things like regulatory T cells and, and macrophages of which we've got M1 and M2 macrophages um, which are also important in this immune reaction 
and 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 you know m2 macrophages and t regulatory cells are actually inhibitory to our immune response and we now know that the immune response has got lots of other things involved and i guess the final thing that you may have heard about in medical school of cytokines so we talk about interleukins and and so you know IL-1 and IL-6 or TNF-alpha and we know those cytokines are important in stimulating an immune response and we know that some of the treatments that we use in fact the first start of immunotherapy was interleukin-2 so it was actually given uh, a cytokine to stimulate an immune response and, and cytokine just means cytosalkine means attract so they're just proteins that attract immune cells we now know that, that cytokines are important in the immune response, but we also know some of the treatments that we give if the immune system gets dysregulated or, or becomes over-dysregulated or overactive, we can give some of these drugs that block cytokines to get that back under control. So I guess in essence, what I'm saying is all that stuff that you learned that you thought you could forget about and you thought was really boring stuff. I love, by the way, it was my first degree before medical school, is actually still really important. It's the sort of stuff that Anna and I get to discuss most Friday mornings. Anna, anything you want to add to that? No, I don't think so. I think absolutely. It's just about the fact that it can it can get quite complicated in terms of which cells are doing what. And to be honest, I think it's just important to have a bit of an overview. Um, I think the most important thing to understand is the fact that that's the, the immune system becomes the the drug if you like it becomes the the bit that does the doing and and to be honest that's the fundamental bit so it doesn't necessarily matter too much um at uh, at this point in terms of understanding how immunotherapy works what the individual cells specifically do although it's always nice to have a bit of insight thank you i knew that anna um briefly touched on it but um now that we know a bit more about how the immune system works um can you explain in a bit more detail about how checkpoint inhibitors work yeah, so if I pick up on what we were talking about earlier, so I think the, the key to this really is the fact that we know that these checkpoint proteins, they're one of the control mechanisms of the immune system. So um, I think when we're talking about immune therapy, we're talking about checkpoint inhibitors for cancer, I think we focus very much on the fact that it is a, it's a cancer-specific mechanism, and it, and it actually isn't. So these checkpoint proteins are one of the ways that um, that uh, lots of different processes in the in the body are managed. So I think it's always worth knowing that because we, we will eventually get onto the thorny issue of toxicity. And some of that might be the fact that these proteins are not specific to cancer. The other thing is that actually there's lots of them. So checkpoint proteins are, uh, there's, there's at least 15 different types of checkpoint protein. And some of them um, dysregulate, downregulate the immune system and block it from working. Some of them actually increase the immune system and, and, and excite it a bit more. So at the moment, we have got checkpoint, pro checkpoint inhibitors against three checkpoint proteins that we think are really important in cancer. So they are the PD-1, CTLA-4, PDL one group, um, and they are all negative regulators. They all stop the immune system from, um, from working. Uh, but actually, as time goes on, we will find more checkpoint inhibitors coming into treatment that attack and affect different checkpoint proteins. So an example of that is a LAG-3. Um, protein which we have now got some drugs that are active towards so it's really exciting at the moment to know that actually these checkpoint inhibitors at the moment there we're seeing activity they're by inhibiting those those uh sort of down regulating checkpoint proteins we're seeing activity against the cancer um, but actually over, over time we will see more of these drugs coming through 
um, that work in different checkpoint proteins and often um, we will use them in combination so we will affect more than one checkpoint protein and and optimize the immune system's ability to attack the cancer cells so basically what happens at an immunological level is your t-cells recognize your cancer and they still do that um, even when there's checkpoint protein present but the checkpoint protein stops something called the co-stimulatory signal so it stops the second go signal that a T cell needs to actually uh, release perfin and granzyme B and to attack. And so by, by blocking that stopping of the co-stimulatory signal, you still get your T cell receptor binding to your, to your cancer. And then you then get your co-stimulatory signal. So you get your secondary go signal, which means that actually it's allowed to and can do what it's meant to do and destroy those cancer cells. Also, checkpoint proteins make T cells tired. It, it drives them into something called exhaustion. And so by blocking that protein, you actually wake up your T cells. So checkpoint inhibitors wake up your T cells and then allow them to be active against your cancer cells, which is pretty cool, really. Oh, fab. Thank you. And which cancers can these drugs be used for? How effective are they? So Anna mentioned there's 15 um, tumours earlier. Uh, I, I, let's see how many I can do off the top of my head. So it's like a, it's like a quiz game. Uh, okay, so we've got melanoma. We've got uh, head and neck cancer. We've got breast cancer. We've got Merkel cell, which is a rare type of skin cancer. We've got squamous cell. I'm watching Anna's face because she's watching me trying to regurgitate this. We've got colorectal. Uh, we've got esophageal gastric tumours. I think we can use it in refractory Hodgkins. Uh, we've got, uh, how many have I got left to try and find? You've got eight um, so far. Oh, <laughs> what? Okay, hold on. Um, I'm just trying to name another tumour. Uh, you treat one of them, love. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, kidney, bladder. Uh, there's some data in prostate, although I don't think that's licensed. And I think 10 out of 15 I'll take. So can you add, can you add any more? <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, gyne, HCC, non-small cell lung cancer, small cell lung cancer, uh, and there is one more. I will come back to you on when I remember what it is. <laughs> uh, so we got 14 out of 15. Uh, and how effective? So that's a really, really good question. It's variable, I think, is, is the thing we need to remember. So the, the poster child for immunotherapy, as Anna mentioned earlier, is melanoma. And we know that with melanoma... If you look at combination immunotherapy, uh, which is the combination of ipilimumab and nivolumab, so targeting two of those checkpoints at the same time, we know from the big trial the response rate was around 60%. It may be slightly less in real life, but around 60%. But the really important thing about immunotherapy and why it, it, it differentiates it from most chemotherapy treatments and most tumor types is that you've got this possibility of what we call the tail of the curve, which is that a proportion of patients will get a durable outcome from their immunotherapy. And so for melanoma, we know that we've now got for that big trial, although we've got other trials with slightly longer data, but for the big trial, we know that at seven and a half years, 48% of those patients are still alive. And we know that if you're alive at two or three 
years, you've got a fairly high chance that you'll still be alive at seven and a half. And that's because we think that those patients are getting a durable outcome. And when we look at the data, we know about three quarters of them won't be on treatment in, anymore. And a number of those patients will be in complete remission. And so the idea is that there's this possibility that even if you stop the immunotherapy treatment, your immune system will take over the job. I, similar I guess to when you give someone a vaccine in their childhood and they develop an Im immunological response and that immune system continues to work if it sees that that you know organism again similarly with with cancer treatments if we stimulate the immune system sometimes that immune system but often that immune system will become active long term even without giving more treatment and so the really exciting thing about immunotherapy and the thing that Anna and I go on about a lot is this possibility of potentially curing people with stage four metastatic disease and so that 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 durability that curve that percentage isn't as high in some tumors as it is in melanoma for example in renal it's around 40 percent who are still alive at five years slightly higher than 40 percent and in some tumors it may be closer to 20 or 30 percent but it's you know for patients it's the idea that with stage four disease they may potentially have this durable outcome and we may get to it later, you know, it depends what we end up talking about, but we're learning ways all the time to make the immune system better. And so Anna and I are really big advocates for how can we how can we get a few extra percent each time we do something different? So can we work with the bacteria in your gut to make it a little bit better? Can we work on other immune cells to get it a little bit better? Can we get a slightly stronger response than neoantigens? And so I think we're going to, as time goes on, and, and, and Anna and I will be long gone, well, it's you and me who are basically doing a lot of this stuff and 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 hopefully moving this area forward. Um, you know, Anna and I I just try to kind of keep this dream alive until people like you come along and actually do the hard work and and improve things we are and so other than our mortality um anything else you want to mention um yes the 15th one is breast i'm delighted that my brain is working at 7 20 in the morning look at that not bad um and uh, i don't know if we're going to talk about it in a little while so uh, we've obviously talked about metastatic cancer do you want to talk about the other settings that we use this in now, or would you like to make, leave that till later? Um, yeah, look, why don't we cover that now, which is Anna's really polite way of saying, Rick, you only did stage four disease. That's your <laughs> game, which is fine. That's fine. Uh, so Anna's right to bring that up that we're using it in, in more and more different settings. So uh, so in breast cancer, for example, we, we've now got a neoadjuvant indication. And for those who aren't familiar with that terminology, that's where we give a therapy up front in a patient who's potentially curative to, to, to reduce the size of the tumour and make it easier to do the definitive treatment. So in breast cancer, that would involve giving upfront chemo and immunotherapy to make the tumour smaller, to make it more likely that you can get rid of all of the tumour, what we call a, a pathological complete response. And we also use it in the adjuvant setting. So, uh, so that add-on setting, that's what adjuvant therapy means. It's an add-on therapy to a definitive curative treatment. So similarly, you know, we treat melanoma. And so when we remove a melanoma of a certain size, 
even though we don't think there's any cancer left over, we give an immunotherapy and often it's for a year in 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 in, well, in melanoma, but there's different indications in bladder, um, there's different lengths of treatment that we give in the adjuvant setting. But but we we uh, we give this treatment for a period of time afterwards. And the idea is that then if there are any cells left over, we can stimulate an immune response. We can remove, get the immune system to go and find any of those cells um, that are left over and, and hopefully increase your chance of cure. Um, and there's lots of this data coming through at the moment, which is probably outside of the scope here, knowing that potentially if you give the treatment before you take the tumour out, I guess it would make sense that there's more tumour there um, than if you're just trying to mop up a few cells left over. And so maybe that might stimulate a better immune response than when you give it afterwards. And there aren't so many um, abnormal epitopes or antigens to stimulate the immune system. And I hopefully I've done a better job now. Is there anything you want to add to that? Only my own failure and the fact that there's actually 16 mesothelioma. Basically, I think the summary is most cancers have now got immunotherapeutic option. <laughs> but no, beautifully done for the neoadjuvant adjuvant coverage, Ricky. I'm delightly, delighted. <laughs> well, that's good news. Right. So in view of one of the feedbacks from Mena's uh, report being that we should aim to make our talk slightly shorter, Anna, um, we're going to bring this one to a close and then we'll get back to part two where we'll continue with our interrogations. So. Beautiful. I'll see you shortly.